It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Welcome back, everyone. As we continue to follow uh, the drama in our nation's capital as it relates to the infrastructure bill, just moments ago, uh, Senator Sinema from Arizona uh, posted on her Twitter feed that uh, a statement from the 22 senators who have been part of this bipartisan group uh, coming up with this uh, $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill Senator Sinema wrote, again, on behalf of the 22 senators, we've made significant progress and are close to a final agreement. We will continue working hard to ensure we get this critical legislation right and are optimistic that we will finalize and be prepared to advance this historic bipartisan proposal to strengthen America's infrastructure and create good-paying jobs in the coming days. Uh, Her tweet uh, continues, we appreciate our colleagues on both sides of the aisle and the administration working with us to get this done for the American people. So, again, that's a tweet coming out on behalf of the 22 senators, 11 Republicans, 11 Democrats, who've been working on this bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure package on traditional infrastructure. Uh, We'll continue to watch the response as that plays out as we go through the afternoon today and in the coming days as well. We expect this will take place over the weekend and uh, be ready for a vote uh, early next week. Uh, As mentioned before we went to the break, we're going to stay with the conversation with Representative John Curtis. Uh, In this country, we've had a a hard time managing pain, uh, especially treatments like opioids, uh, to no fault of the medical professionals trying to help. Uh, Congressman John Curtis has taken on the issue to give more control of pain treatment and treatment plans to the patients and to the families. Uh, He spoke with us uh, earlier today, as we've been mentioning, uh, about another bipartisan effort uh, called the Non-Opioid Directive Act. Uh, So this Non-Opioid Directive Act, which would allow patients to choose non-opioid treatments when managing pain, post-surgery, and so on, uh, so in talking with Representative Curtis, uh, he did point out that, hey, the, the medical professionals uh, are trying to, of course, alleviate pain and suffering, uh, trying to do the right treatment when it comes to recovery after a, a painful surgery or a painful uh, injury of some sort. And he pointed out the issues that patients have when it comes to choosing what treatment plan is best for them. I want to start by giving a shout out to medical professionals, and, and I would really regret if anything in this reflected that I didn't have anything but the highest respect and confidence for them. But I do know that sometimes it can be very intimidating to a patient to go into a medical professional, and um, sometimes they don't ask uh, uh, enough uh, questions. Sometimes they don't uh, let their will be known enough. And I, I also want to uh, make sure that I point out that opioids for many patients are incredibly important and and a very important part of their treatment. So we're not trying to say, look, never use opioids. Uh, we're just we're just making sure that an educated decision is make made and that the patient ultimately controls that decision. 
So Representative Curtis went on to outline what is in this opioid bill. Again, this is a bipartisan bill and what it would actually do for patients. Uh, as it comes to opioids, we, we've got a bill that would simply say that a, a patient, uh, when they go and, and might have an opioid prescribed for a surgery or some other treatment, totally puts them in control and gives them a mechanism to, to let the doctor or those who would be prescribing medication know that they don't want opioids. And um, my hope is that that would then force a conversation between patient and doctor about other pain management uh, uh uh, opportunities. And I think that's an important part of this uh, process and, and discussion is making sure that we do put this in the hands of the patient, uh, that we do need to make sure both from the, the doctor's standpoint, the healthcare professional's standpoint, and from patient standpoint, that, that sometimes we are so focused on alleviating pain and suffering uh, that sometimes we create more pain and suffering uh, on the back end. And a lot of the addiction and challenges that we've seen with opioids uh, come from that. Uh, and as Representative Curtis rightly pointed out, uh, it's not necessarily uh, the problem or the uh, fault or or uh, any kind of bad intention from healthcare providers, uh, nor is it usually the case that uh, the the patient wants to go down that path either. Uh, they're just trying to manage a process and manage pain and so Representative Curtis shared uh, an experience he had uh, after a surgery that kind of puts it all into perspective. My staff didn't know this when they brought the idea to me, but when they brought the idea to me for this bill, I said, you know, I actually have some personal experience with this because uh, in, in a surgery I once had, I uh, when I checked in, I said, look, I want to make sure that, that I'm not prescribed any opioids. And and sure enough, you know, when I'm groggy and walking out of the hospital, I looked at my I got this bag full of opioids I'm walking home with. And, um, it, you know, and, and here again, that's why I want to be really careful. I, I, I'm not trying to, to demean the profession because as you check no. in, part of the problem is do you tell the receptionist? Do you tell the nurse? Do you tell the doctor? Right. You know, who do you tell? And so to, to an average patient, that can be right, really intimidating and overwhelming. And, and, and what this bill would do is just clearly give a very clear path to a patient to express their preferences and then I would hope that a medical professional, as they always do, would sit down with them and say, okay, if you don't want opioids, let me give you some options here. Yeah. Or if opioids become um, the, the best alternative, then great. They're, they're done so with, with um, everybody knowing exactly what the options are. It's interesting. Uh, according to the National Institute on Drug Abuse, nearly 50,000 people in the U.S. died from opioid-involved overdoses. Uh, this was uh, 2019 latest figures. Uh, that same year, an estimated 10 million people misused prescription painkillers. Uh, the CDC estimates that the total economic burden of prescription opioid misuse alone in the U.S., is $78.5 billion a year. And that, that includes everything from the cost of health care to lost productivity, addiction treatment, criminal involvement, uh, families, and so on. Uh, and all of that is, is really critical. And so what this bill is doing is really making sure that there's a, a clear path for a patient to explore all the options in terms of their treatment. Uh, so that they're not just automatically put on opioids, that they are given options and uh, given insight and instruction, guidance, uh, and insight from healthcare professionals of other options, non-opioid options, in terms of controlling pain post-surgery, post-injury, whatever the case may be. 
Uh, and so this is, again, another one of those really important, crucial conversations that I don't think we've had enough of uh, in our communities. And this is one of those that uh, doesn't, this is not just a big national thing. This is not just a big city thing. Uh, this is a Utah thing. And it's happening in our communities. It's happening a lot in our rural communities. Uh, and this isn't even factoring in uh, the increase uh, abuse of prescription opioids uh, during the course of the pandemic. Uh, and so this is something I think we're just at the tip of the iceberg on, and I uh, applaud Representative Curtis for taking this on and for really doing this in the right way and doing it as a bipartisan effort. Again, this is not a red or blue issue, liberal conservative issue, Democrat Republican issue. This is an American issue, and it's one that we can deal with, uh, and we can deal with it in a in a really positive way. Uh, as we were wrapping up our conversation with Representative Curtis, uh, I, I told him, one, it, it's nice to have some things like this coming out of Washington in the midst of uh, a lot of the partisanship to actually be able to point to areas where the government is working. And there are a lot of positive things. Uh, here's, here was his response. One of the members in the committee uh, predicted that the press would not report on what happened today because it just wasn't, you know, um, on fire. So you have I'm going to go back to the committee and report that uh, may be true in other states, but not in Utah. So we're very glad uh, to be part of the solution here and to have the conversation about these things that, again, are bipartisan in nature. And there is a lot of them, uh, as Representative Curtis pointed out. A lot of times they just don't get covered because they're not on fire. Uh, and we're not just talking about fire season. We're talking about political fire and a lot of heat and uh, rhetoric there. Uh, so, again, we applaud Representative Curtis. This is a Utah issue, a Utah rural issue, a Utah community issue as it relates both to methamphetamines and also uh, opioid use. And two great bills, uh, two great bipartisan pieces of legislation. We'll continue to track those and monitor those as they get to the floor of the House and then on to the Senate. Uh, for actual vote. Hopefully those will both uh, end up on the president's desk and uh, be signed into law. I think they both go a long way in taking some important steps in getting transparency, clarity, and some good resources uh, for families across the country. All right, we're going to step aside for bottom of the hour news. When we come back, we're going to talk a little sports. Mitch Harper is going to join us. We're going to talk about uh, all kinds of things from coaching changes to the Milwaukee Bucks and small markets winning championships. Stay with us. Much more to come on Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.